this evening night and thankful that we have another opportunity to be together and worship and study now from His Word. I invite you to well keep your place in Jonah. We'll come back to that as we study some of these things about tonight the difficulties of repentance. Just to remind ourselves what we discussed this morning is that through gospel preaching, we learn that repentance is required of us. It is commanded of us. It is an element of the Great Commission that the prophets said of the Christ that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And Luke's account of the Great Commission in Luke 24, he speaks to that point. We we talked about the necessity of repentance this morning that unless we repent, we will perish. Luke 13 and verse 3 and verse 5 as well. And, and uh, acknowledging that it's not easy to repent. And we're going to, to uh, discuss more of that this evening and talk about the difficulties of repentance. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to uh, understand that while there are difficulties attached to repentance, it's not impossible to repent. In fact, because we're commanded it, uh, then, then it is something entirely within our capability and at the same time, something God requires of us. God wants to save us. But uh, unless we are repentant, uh, then salvation will not take place. We will not be saved. And so uh, that's the uh, demand of repentance upon us. As we discussed this morning, to, to repent, we have to admit our sin. We have to acknowledge the sin we've committed. The sinners who crucified the Christ... Uh, were cut to the heart when they heard these words, when they heard the Word preached. They heard the, the Gospel is the convicting agent to lead us to repentance and to salvation. Uh, as those words are offered to persuade us to salvation, it says those then that received His Word were baptized in Acts 2 and 41. Uh, so we have to receive truth. We have to admit our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, John said. But if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. An aspect of repenting is the acknowledgement to ourself and before God of our own sin. It's fundamentally to change our mind. That's by definition. The word means to change our mind for the sin that we've committed. We discussed that. You know, the prodigal came to himself in Luke 15, 17. That was a, that was a mental thing. And he said he, it, he came to himself. That was in his heart. Uh, before he ever did any, uh, ever turned and went back home, he had to come to himself. We've got to come to ourselves, be convicted of truth, and change our mind, uh, relent, and, uh, and turn back to have the godly sorrow uh, that we talked about this morning. And once that godly sorrow is in place, then, then the change of mind leading to, to salvation can take place as we then bear the fruit that corresponds to that changed heart. And we talked about that this morning. That, 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 uh, uh, that, that as we talk about the fruit and things we must do, we must repudiate sin. We need to restore the wrong we've done as much as we can, we need to, to uh, then uh, uh, reform our life, reform our conduct to be 
in harmony with the will of God. And, and we discussed that in the case of Corinth in First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians 7 and verse 11. Fundamentally, we've got to stop sinning. I mean, that, the goal of repentance is that we no longer commit the sin. Uh, we did not look this morning, so if you would turn with me to Revelation chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, that gives an interesting description here. It's in a context where trumpets are being sounded as, as angels are, are declaring the approaching wrath of God against wickedness. And, uh, and, and in the discussion of that and plagues and punishments uh, that are applied as God punishes and also through that is an opportunity to, to repent, it says in verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. They saw the punishments declared by God and the wrath of God upon evil and yet they did not repent of their, their deeds, the works of their hands that they should not worship demons. See, when they repent, they would stop worshiping the demons and the idols. And, and, but it says they did not repent of their murders, verse 21, or their sorceries, or their uh, sexual immorality, their fornications, or their thefts. So, so repentance is key to stopping sin. If I don't change my heart, I don't stop sinning. And if I don't stop sinning, God's wrath is upon me, and I'll lose my soul forever. That's how serious repentance is. And so, understanding that, and, and, and that's what we talked to some length this morning about, I'd like for us to spend some time talking about the difficulty of repentance. Um, you know, we, we at times, and perhaps we spend a good deal of time, I think, talking about the difficulties of forgiving and the responsibilities of forgiving, and, and we've recently done that in classes and, and uh and as, as late as recent as this morning, we had some comments again about that. And it's right to spend time about, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to forgive, but I want us tonight to realize it's hard to repent. That, that uh, if we have a casual concept of repentance, then we've not yet grasped the magnitude uh, of what God expects of us in repentance. That, uh, that it's not easy to repent. Uh, and... and there's three elements that we want to explore in this lesson tonight. The first is repentance is far sweeping, and while that may sound like a, a you know a stating the obvious, the obvious is is stated in Scripture in in Colossians chapter three, verses five through eleven. He he says. Beginning in that chapter, if you've been raised together with Christ, he's talking about somebody who's been born again, somebody who has been baptized, chapter 2 and verse 12, died to sin, raised by the power of God. Now he's, uh, sin's been cut away. He's, he's, here's the, the saved person. Here's the Christian. If you've been raised with Christ, that, in, that involved repentance. Okay? So now, here's a repentant, saved person and he tells us, therefore, put to death your members that are on the earth. We said, well, haven't I already done that? I repented. Well, no, you see, here's the fruit of that repentance. Now we've got to kill the passions of sensuality that are on the earth that bombard us. He says God's wrath is on us when we conduct ourselves in those sins. We were sons of disobedience and we once lived in those things. But now he says, put to death fornication and uncleanness. 
Put to, put to death passion and evil desire and covetousness. He says, put to death anger and wrath, verse 8, malice and blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. You see, see, look, look at the sweep of this. It's not just about putting to death physical lust. He says, he said, deal with your, your heart. Deal with your mind. Deal with the expressions of anger. He says, put these things to death. Put, put filthy language out of your mouth. Put it to death. Put away lying. Because you put off the old man. The totality of, and completeness, the comprehensive nature of repentance is at the heart of what we're talking about here. He says, if any man is in Christ, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All. You know, we, we, we can, if, if we're not careful, we can, be, we can pigeonhole our repentance. We can become comfortable with dealing with certain sins when we see them in ourselves, but not so comfortable with others. And, and, and while we're ready to repent of some and we see them and acknowledge them and confess them and, and change our mind about them, the others, if we're not careful, there, there may well be others that kind of get a foothold in our, in our heart. We've got to extract those too. Those that aren't as easy to get, a, get rid of. Those that aren't as easy to change our mind about. Uh, and that's why we talk about the difficulty at times. Every part of our life is touched by a changed heart. In 2 Corinthians 12 and 21, I, I you note with me, remember, we've already read in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians that, that uh, the church had made some, uh, some strides in repentance. They had, they had vindicated themselves concerning the fornicator that had not been disciplined among them. And, and they corrected that and, and uh, repented out of godly sorrow. But Paul goes on in the last part of that epistle, 2 Corinthians, to say there's still some problems you need to address. There's some among you that still have not repented of additional things. Look at verse 21. Lest when I come again, my God will humble you. This is chapter 12, 21 of 2 Corinthians. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have, who have sinned, sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lewdness which they have practiced. So there were still there were some brethren in the church that had not repented. And he says, I, when I come, I, I fear lest when I come, I'm going to have to bring sharpness uh, to rebuke you instead of, of the edification that I want to provide you because you've repented of these things. So, every part, wherever we find it, they, they, had, they had made a good start in some areas, but there were some others, there were some things that still they, they needed to repent of. Well, the difficulty in our lives is we have to be, we have to allow the Word of God to touch every part of our life, every relationship of our life, every conduct, every word. And to examine that and to allow truth to convict us of every sin to have a godly sorrow, a contrite heart that repents. Because our goal, and it's mentioned in Colossians 3.10, is to bear the image of Christ. 
this this new new person that we're to put on is to be according to the image of Him who created it. That is, it's to be according to the image of Jesus. We're to bear His moral likeness. Um, and, and, and that means every part of us has to be under the magnifying glass of truth and allow truth to convict us and convert our heart. To bring us to repentance and a bearing of that fruit that corresponds to it. So, any concept of repentance that does not touch every part of our lives to conform us to the image of Christ is not Bible repentance. If, if we have the notion that we can, we can address the public things, but we don't have to address the private things in our life, then we've been deceived. We, we, that's not Repentance. And it's not easy to do this, but it's imperative. It's essential that we do if, in fact, we're going to bear the image of Jesus Christ. So let's commit ourselves to allowing repentance and repenting of every aspect of our life, examining every part of our life and repenting in every place where that's needed that we bear the image of Jesus. Repentance is difficult because it's deliberate. Um, you just don't fall into it. You don't just by happen chance repent. Um, it, it is, as we have on our chart, it doesn't happen without premeditation, without purpose, without a conscious effort um, of, of understanding the sin, being learning about the sin, and then changing my heart about it. Ephesians 4, we mentioned part of this passage this morning. But verse 20 says, You have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as truth is in Jesus. Now, this is, this is purposeful. To listen to Jesus. We've got to choose to listen to Jesus. We've got to choose to be taught by Jesus. Because truth is in Jesus. So, so, so we have to deliberately say, I want truth arranging my heart, arranging my conduct, my words, my deeds. And when truth exposes a sin, then I need to change my heart about that sin. I don't change my heart about the truth. I change my heart about the sin that the truth exposes teaches me about and will correct in my life if I will have the faith to change my heart about it and bear the fruit consistent with that changed heart. You see, repentance comes through faith as a result of faith. If we don't have faith, if we don't trust that this is the right way, then, then we, won't have the, we won't be deliberate in, in dealing with sin and repenting. It requires a full examination, as noted before. John preached that, and John exposed that when he said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Um, you, want, you want the remission of sins that I'm offering you, John said, I'm preaching repentance. So, so are you willing to, to make a full, full examination? You know, you, 
you, you soldiers, you know, and, and, and uh, um, you tax collectors, and you scribes and Pharisees. You see, when we repent, we make deliberate actions toward the changed heart. And that's, well, that's what gonna work. that is what brings us back over to Jonah. Let's go to Jonah for a minute and in that third chapter and see the, the deliberate nature of, repent, of repentance. Now, Jesus referred to this in Luke, the 11th chapter, and uh, verse 31. He said, actually 30 and 31, he said, Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites. So also the Son of Man will be in to this generation. He says that in verse 30. And then you drop down to verse 32. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So, so the men of Nineveh would, would condemn that present generation because when the preacher Jonah came to them preaching repentance, saying 40 days God's going to destroy you for your sin, they repented. And they were very deliberate in that repentance. Verses 1-4, through four, notes, note it with me. The truth was preached. If truth is not preached, if we don't hear the truth that's in Jesus, we can't repent. Oh, we may change our mind to align with, with an opinion of somebody else, but our goal is to align our thinking with God, to be better the image of Jesus. And so we've got to have truth preached to convict us. And that's what happened. Jonah, uh, Jonah says, Yet forty days, and none of us shall be overthrown. He preached the message that God told him. Look at verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I will tell you. We need to preach this Word, this message that God gives, that God tells. That's going to be the message that convicts and converts. Uh, Not the theories of the day, not the philosophies of the day, not the doctrines of men, the Word of God. Well, that's exactly what the Great Commission is about. Go and preach repentance and the remission of sins to the whole world. Preach the word. The gospel will be the mechanism that people must that will produce faith and will bring people to repentance. Verse five: the people believe God. They believe God. Jonah is assigned to them. The message and the information about what happened to Jonah got to the people of Nineveh. So when he's preaching his message of destruction in 40 days, they get it. This God who caused him to be in the belly of the fish, because he's trying to run away from God, now he's bringing the message from that same God, and we're about to be destroyed. Now if we, would just, if we could just grasp the reality of the message, that it is true, that we can depend upon it, then, then that, that Word would humble us to turn to God for mercy, to repent. That's what, it ha- what happened in Nineveh. Nineveh was a wicked city. And God was fully ready to destroy them. But the people heard the message and they believed God. No, it didn't say they believed Jonah. They believed God. God put the, gave the message to Jonah. 
when, when we preach this Word, we're not preaching ourselves. Just like Paul said, we don't preach ourselves, we preach Christ. It's God's message and called repentance. And so that's where their faith was and it produced, it produced fruit. They humbled themselves before God. They proclaimed a fast. And with sackcloth, they're in mourning and sorrow for their sins. Just as we've defined and seen in the New Testament, godly sorrow works repentance. The king got the word. The word came to the king. And he leads the nation, the city, in this repentance. He publishes a decree. Everyone, he said, don't eat, don't drink. It applies to you, it applies to your animals. Cry mightily to God. Plead for mercy. Perhaps God will turn, let everyone turn from his evil way. So you change your heart and you change your life. You show the mournfulness for your sin and you turn to God. And maybe He'll show mercy. Plead to Him. Cry mightily to Him. John said, confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive. Well, when they, and then He said, turn away from your evil. Verse, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 8 He said that. And then verse 10, God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. They bore the fruit of the repentance. So Jesus, looking back at that historical event, He said, the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of John. Jesus came preaching and the people refused to repent. So on the day of judgment, the men of Nineveh would stand up and, and condemn that generation that rejected the Son of Man. Now, will they stand up and reject and condemn us because we won't repent at the preaching of one who's greater than Jonah? See, that's where it applies to you and me. As it teaches us how deliberate repentance must be, it teaches us the process of what God's doing and what we must do for repentance to be real in our lives. God saw their works. And by seeing their works, seeing that they bore the fruit of the repentance, He withdrew His, his uh, wrath. He relented from the disaster, from the calamity that He said He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. Of course, the rest of the story is Jonah was displeased and angry. He was angry at God for showing mercy. Uh, our point tonight is about repentance. Any concept of repentance that says you don't have to change your lifestyle in order to repent is not Bible repentance. They changed their lifestyle. They changed the way they were living because they changed their mind toward it. The result of that is that changed life. It's deliberate. We can't just say, I'm sorry, and then go about our business and not reform our conduct, not change our life. Because we've committed ourselves to a changed heart. If our, cha if our hearts change, the life changes. But it's not easy to change our minds at times. You know, it, it, we set a, you know, we, we set a course we, uh, of our life. And, and it's not easy to, to really to, to honestly look at ourselves and look at where we are in life and what our values are, what our attitudes are, what our treatment of others is, whatever the particular you want to choose, because we're to be examining ourselves daily, whether we're in the faith, and that's all of it, 
to deliberately do that and then deliberately take the steps of, that godly sorrow produces. It's not easy. We, talk, we, we, we sometimes expect the, the fellow who's, who's consumed alcohol all of his life and, and really been a drunkard, but he believes and he obeys the Gospel. And sometimes we think, well, now he just ought to, boy, it just ought to be simple for him to just not drink anymore. It's not going to be simple. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. He's changed his mind, but those temptations are real. And he's going to have a battle. And he needs us to help him in that. And, and you know, pick whatever example you'd like. Somebody who struggles with, with the sin of pornography. And we say, oh, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that. And, and, and of course, the, 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 the person repents of that. And we think, okay, now, boy, it shouldn't ever be a problem anymore. It's hard to repent and bear its fruit. Pick the sin. Now, you see, if it's not a sin we particularly struggle with, then we, we sometimes think, oh, that's pretty easy. Why, why, don't they, why, why, don't they, why don't they take care of that? But of course, if it's a sin we struggle with, we seem to have a different attitude, don't we? You see, whatever the particular sin is, it's not easy to repent. It is, it is a deliberate, daily exercise in thinking, in the heart that leads to a life that, that conforms to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's about spiritual development, isn't it? Spiritual growth. Shaping and molding ourselves after the likeness of Jesus. It's far-sweeping. It's deliberate. The third thing about repentance is that makes it difficult is it's emotional. There is emotion attached very often to repenting of sin. And, and Ezra chapters 9 and 10 is, is a verse I'd like to look for a minute. Of course, that's acknowledged when in the verses we've already studied um, this morning. Godly sorrow. Sorrow carries an element of emotion. Contrition. There is sorrow. That's emotional. And so if I'm going to have a godly sorrow, there is an emotion attached with it that cannot be denied. But at the same time, that sometimes makes it difficult. The emotion itself becomes a difficulty to be recognized and addressed and overcome through the power of faith and the power of truth rather than you know, yielding to that temptation not to repent because of the emotional nature of repenting of the sin. In Ezra 9 and 10, there was a sin that they were involved in and it, of course, contained a lot of emotion. They were in marriages that God had said don't enter into. There is no, no higher emotional relationship for any of us. No greater than marriage. It's full of emotion. And so their sin was filled with emotion. As the hands of their leaders and rulers had been foremost in this trespass, chapter 9 and verse 2, the trespass of not separating themselves from the people, but taking some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that they mixed the holy seed with the peoples of the land. God had said, don't do it, yet they had. Now, 
In verse 4, it says, Everyone who trembled at the words of of the God of Israel assembled because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive, and I sat down astonished until the evening sacrifice. In fact, not only was the sin emotional, and you read that throughout chapters 9 and 10, but the confession of the sin was emotional. Now here's Ezra, who had not led them in this sin, but he, he expresses... The, the guilt and shame of the sin in, in verse 3. He says, When I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe, and I plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. Tyler, would you pluck out a couple of hair of your, of your beard and tell me how it feels? <laughs> or, or let me come yank a few out. <laughs> that does not feel pleasant. It hurt. The sin was hurtful. The guilt was, was, was a, a guilt that cut to the heart of the prophet, of the priest, and of God's people. You go on in, in that text 3 through 15. We won't read all that text, but, but, but he emphasizes the guilt that, that God had, they had sinned previously against God as a nation, and he had, yet he had left them a remnant. He punished them, but left them a remnant. remnant. They're back now. That remnant is back in their land. And again, they've forsaken His commandments. Verse 10 of chapter 9. They've, they, they've broken His commandments. Verse 14. Chapter 10 and verse 6 says, uh, He mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity. So, so, And He hadn't even personally committed it. But He makes a confession in prayer to God on behalf of the nation and he, he's, he mourns, he weeps. And the people are crying too. Chapter 10 and verse 1. I want you to get the picture of the emotion of the scene, emotional scene. While Ezra was praying, and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of the men and women and the children gathered with him to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. So Ezra's weeping, the people are bitterly weeping because of this transgression against God. Repenting is emotional. Being convicted of sin is emotional. That's really at the point right now. They're they're being convicted of the guilt of their sin and the shame of their sin. And it is an emotionally wrenching experience. But now, not only is that emotional, but the repentance remedy is emotional. Chapter 10 and 2, Shechaniah the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke and said to Ezra, we have trespassed against our God. Here's the confession. We've taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land, yet now there's hope in Israel in spite of this. Now therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all those wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my Master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the, to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. The remedy would be heart-wrenching. You've trespassed by taking pagan wives, verse 10 says. Now make confession. 
And verse 10, 11 says, Make confession and do His will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the pagan wives. And the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, so we must do. Now, we can casually read through that, but the reality is doing it was, was hurtful. It was mournful. It was painful to separate from their wives and the children they had with them to be right with God. Now, you know where this is going, don't you? It's just too emotional. That's just too hurtful. Well, God wouldn't expect me to leave my wife to be right with Him, would He? He expects us to leave every sin. You see? But before we get to that, let me show you another point of this. The teacher had emotion. When Ezra had to teach them about their sin and show them the guilt of their sin, he was emotional. Plucked the beard. His beard is a sign of grief, of sorrow, of shame. But look at 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 4. When Paul the Apostle had to write the Corinthian church and rebuke them for the sin that they had, he said, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love that I have so abundantly for you. So here's the, the teacher. Here's the Apostle Paul writing them about the sin in Corinth with tears. It is emotional. But he didn't say, you know, this is just too hard. I won't do it because it's just too, too, too hurtful. No, he did. And it helped them come out of their sin. The sinner, the sinner's cried. We read that in Ezra 9 and Ezra 10. It's emotional for the person who sins. Clearly, if there's going to be repentance, it's going to hurt those affected by someone else's sin. Even those innocently affected, there's emotion involved. The children are innocent in the matter. You know, children are always the ones that suffer our sins. They're innocent. The little ones, but they're affected. Chapter 10 of Ezra, verse 44. It's an emotional thing. It's not easy to repent of sins where there's emotion wrapped up in the sin. And yet, that doesn't remove our responsibility to repent. You see, some today say, stay in the sin to avoid the pain. God wouldn't expect me to leave my, my second wife, my third husband, even though I'm in a relationship that didn't result because the first was put away for the cause of fornication. Matthew 19.9 wasn't followed, but, but he, after all, you know, didn't God say, stay in the, you know, uh, remain in the calling wherewith you're called? Just, just stay in the marriage you're in at the moment. Don't take any more. Funny, isn't it? In Ezra 9 and 10, the solution wasn't just keep the ones you have, just don't take any more. No, because the ones they had were sinful. It violated the will of God. And when we're in sin, it violates the will of God. The emotion of the situation doesn't change the truth of the situation. And the call of the Gospel 
if we want to be saved. If we don't want to be saved, do as we please. But if we want to be saved, if we want to avoid the wrath of God, then we cannot accept the concept of repentance that says, just be sorry, just don't do it again, but stay in the sin that you're in. You can't do that. That's not Bible repentance. Romans 6, 1 and 2 What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Grace is greater than sin. So let's just stay in sin and grace will abound. He says, may it never be so. We who died to sin, how shall we any longer live in it? We died to sin. We changed our heart towards sin. We can't live in it now. And they couldn't when they repented either. It's emotional to repent. It's not easy. And someone struggling through repentance needs to acknowledge that, recognize that, and we too, in trying to help them understand that and help them through that. You see, if we're not willing to accept that pain, you know, then then we're not how are we going to repent? We've got to accept the pain that comes with repentance to be right with God. But again, we've got this idea that, that my life should I shouldn't have any pain. Now I shouldn't have any any of that. And if I have that, that must not be from God. No. In the moment of pain is when I gain strength, Paul said. Second Corinthians twelve or eleven. Chapter twelve, I'm sorry. He said when 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 he he was in pain, he trusted more in God. God's grace is satisfying. Well, Repentance is far-sweeping. Repentance is deliberate. Repentance is emotional. So there's one more thing about repentance before we close, and that is what, is, what incentives God sets before us to call us to repentance. He sets before us positive incentives and negative incentives. Often in the same context, same passage, to urge us to repent. In Acts the 17th chapter, we have a positive incentive and a negative incentive. The positive incentive is God commands all men everywhere to repent. That's a good thing. God has commanded us. God has revealed His will to us. He's commanded us to repent. And if we love God, we're going to obey His commandment because we know it's for our good. That's a positive thing. He incentivizes us to repent because He gives us a word commanding us to do it. And when we trust Him, then we obey His commandment. We change our heart toward our sin and we bear its fruit by putting away sin. But there's also a negative incentive in that verse. He's commanded us to repent inasmuch as He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He's assured us of it by raising Him from the dead. There's going to be a day of judgment. That's a negative incentive. Because if I don't repent, there's going to be a day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to receive a, the recompense for my sin. I'm going to receive punishment. And it'll be just. So there's a positive and a negative. Pick it whichever you choose. Pick them both. God give, give them both, gives them both to us to urge us to repent. You see, when people say, oh, don't preach hellfire and brimstone, that's negative. Well, what do you think that is? Acts 17.31. That's God's Word doing it. That's the Apostle Paul doing it. 
Don't tell us we can't preach what the way Paul preached. See that? Positive and negative. Well, look at Romans 2, verses 4 through 6. We have again the positive incentive and the negative incentive. Romans 2 and 4. He says, speaks of the positive goodness of God there when he says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God's goodness drives us to repent, leads us to it, persuade when we contemplate how good God is in the face of our sin, how long suffering he is with us, how he forbears and wants us to change our heart, change our lives, and, and, and turn to so he can forgive us. That's a good thing. That's a positive reason to, to repent. Look at what God has done. Look at how God is treating us now in His goodness. He goes on to say there's also the wrath of God. He says, he says in accordance with your hardness of, and, and your impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to everyone according to His deeds. So, so there's the wrath of God. You don't want God's goodness to persuade you, then allow God's wrath to persuade you to repent. To change your heart about sin. Because you can live in His goodness now, but if you don't allow that to turn your heart to Him, then understand there's a day of wrath coming and there'll be no escape from that. You'll render according to your deeds. So choose to repent now and live in the goodness of God with God, with His blessing rather than with wrath upon you. Positive and negative incentives. And thirdly, 2 Peter 3, 8-10. We have uh, the long-suffering of God. Verse 8 it says, and 9, I'm sorry, it says, "...the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance." God's long-suffering. He does not immediately retaliate when we, when we sin. He doesn't immediately send us to hell. He's long-suffering. He gives us opportunity to repent. He's, again, it's, it's, it's that long-suffering so that we should come to repentance. That we will use that chance that we have right now to look at every part of our life and deliberately press through any emotional pain to change our heart and life to conform to His will. The good long-suffering of God compels us, leads us to repent. But if that won't, understand there's a day when this world is going to burn up. There's the negative incentive. The day of the Lord, the day of judgment. It's going to come as a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So, accept the goodness and long-suffering of God now to persuade you. Or be persuaded for the fact that you don't know when it's going to happen, but when He does come, everything's going to be destroyed. And we'll be in eternal punishment for our sin unless we repent. The goodness and the severity of God. Behold, His goodness and His severity. These are persuasive reasons to repent. And finally, understand there are rewards. You see, the rewards of repentance is forgiveness. He removes it. It's no longer to our account. They're forgiven. We escape the wrath of God when we repent. 
And in repentance, we receive an inheritance. That's where we began this morning. I'd like to end by going back to Acts 26 and, and point this out. Remember there, that's where we began by showing that repenting is a change of mind that produces a turning to God. Well, Jesus, in, in speaking to Paul as He appeared to him there on the road to Damascus, He said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, verse 18, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in Me. An inheritance. What's the inheritance? Well, the inheritance is eternal life. He said, that's what I went and preached. There's an inheritance when we live, live by faith. When we'll have trust to believe God's Word, to understand the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. If we will change our mind toward the sin that we find truth exposing within us and deliberately and comprehensively give our heart and our life to God's will, to remove the sin, to reform our life, to honor Him now and every day to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Repentance. It's difficult. It requires faith in God. It requires daily commitment to, commit our, to, to practice that faith. And if we'll do that, God says, I'll bless you. I'll reward you with the blessing of eternal life. If you're not a Christian, you need to repent. Need to change your mind about your sin. Every sin to conform to the will of God. To be baptized into Jesus so those sins can be washed away by the blood of Jesus. And then as God's people walk with Him. If you need to repent as a Christian, the same concepts of repentance apply. Let us examine every part of our lives. Let us change our heart toward every wrong or every failure of things we need to be doing that we're not to conform to His will that we might have an inheritance when this life is over. Won't you come to God in His way right now while we stand and we sing?